All right. Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Michael, the introvert networker, and our today's guest is Ryan Wardell. Ryan is the founder of startupsauce.com, which is an online community for SaaS founders outside of Silicon Valley. Before that, he ran a growth hacking consultancy based in London, which specialized in building marketing systems for early stage startups. Hi, Ryan. Nice hey, to have Michael. You here. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Listen, man, we're meeting today to talk about networking, online networking in particular, and even to go a bit more into the detail, online networking through online communities. As we both met in one of those online communities, basically at Growth Mentor Slack channel, and you are the owner of your own online community, which mm, gathers startup SaaS founders from all over the globe with MRR over of 5K USD, if that's correct, if I sure remember is. correctly. Listen, could you let us know briefly your story with both online communities? How did you get into this mm -hmm. area of business relationships? And a brief story on your own online community, how it came to be that you decided to go down this path. So the longer version of that, I've been building communities basically my whole life. I just didn't realize it until fairly recently. Cool. So, so way back when I was, I thought I wanted to get into the tech world and startups and all that kind of exciting stuff. The problem was I didn't know anyone. I didn't know how to do it. I was this clueless kid in my early twenties. And, and so I ended up walking to this co-working space. And I thought, okay, well, there's a lot of people here who know something that I don't, probably the highest and best use of my time, instead of sitting down and doing some work on my laptop, is to just walk around and tap everyone on the shoulder and shake their hands and introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Ryan. No, this is what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm completely clueless, but it's nice to meet you. What are you doing? And, and learn that way. And so I spent the whole day just walking around. I got to the end of it. And I thought, okay, that's like, I, I went and met a whole bunch of people. And then fast forward a little bit, I used to run an event called Co-Founder Speed Date. So I realized very quickly that if I wanted to build a tech startup, I needed to have some, some coding experience. The only problem was I was terrible at it. Mm -hmm. I tried learning on Code Academy and everything else. I'm just awful at it. My brain just doesn't work that way. So I needed a co-founder. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't move in circles where I would naturally meet a lot of developers. And, and so you find this anywhere. There's sort of like there's little micro communities and little cliques all over the place. And if your circles don't cross over with other people's circles, you're just never going to meet them. So, so I got in touch with one of the guys who was running Startmate, which is like the Australian equivalent of Y Combinator. I said, hey, I'm looking for a, for mm -hmm. a co-founder. You've just done a big intake of companies. Surely there are some really good people in, in, in all of that. The guy's name was Nicky Shavax, awesome dude. And he said, okay, but I'm busy. I'm not going to do one-on-one -on -one introductions, but if you run an event... I'll blast out to my email list and that way you can potentially meet some people as well. So I kind of accidentally backed into setting up an event purely because I wanted to meet a co-founder. That's how it all kind of originated. And then so so ran an event, had some some structure and stuff around it. But the 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 fast forward a couple of years after that and I found myself in the UK. We were running this growth marketing agency for early stage tech startups, which was a lot of fun. And then my visa application got rejected twice to stay in the UK. And we thought, okay, well, need to change up the business model pretty significantly because that that's sort of a business like a lot of it's built on personal relationships it relied on me going around to networking events meeting people so either people who were potentially clients or people who could introduce me to potential clients as well 
and that you know sometimes it was you'd, you'd meet someone and make friends with them and then six months later they'd say oh yeah actually you should go and talk to ryan like if you if you just go out hunting you know with like the blinkers on this is what i'm looking for and screw anyone else and you're not actually building relationships then you don't really get too far with that but so i was pretty good at the networking piece but but when i found out that i, I had to leave the uk that sort of changed things. So my, my business partner at the time, Sam, said, hey, why don't, we, why don't we set up an online community? Like we've always talked about starting a SaaS business. We're good at the marketing side of things, but there's a lot of stuff we don't know. Maybe what we should do is we should go and meet lots of people who are successful SaaS founders. And probably the easiest way to do that is why don't we set up a community so we can just invite them all? That's probably the most efficient way. Why don't we do that? And that's how Startup Source was born. So it actually started off being face-to-face networking like we 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 organized these breakfasts so we'd get people to come along for breakfast we'd meet Mm -hmm. we chat about business and all that kind of stuff we thought initially it was going to be just a bunch of kids and us like you know passing on some words of wisdom and all that kind of stuff but it wasn't it was mostly guys in their 30s 40s 50s 60s they were married they had kids and they had these like really successful businesses but you'd never hear from them because they weren't going along to all the the typical networking events and so yeah like all face-to-face networking events like it's a it's a like there's no substitute for face-to-face, right? You always build a better relationship if you're mm-hmm. face-to-face, but, you know, someone, you know, their, their kid got sick or, you know, their, their wife had this party that they had to go to. For whatever reason, it was just hard to do. So so we started an online community instead and uh, and that's really where things started to take off. All right. So first of all, I believe you found your tech co-founder <laughs> during this process, but why do you think those guys in those in those 30s and those 40s as you said they didn't have enough time to go to networking events overall but it seemed they appeared at your mm. breakfast so what was the case that made them come there and not go to any other networking so I, I don't think it's necessarily a lack of time like quite often when people say i don't have time for that mm-hmm. it's like a polite rejection what they actually mean is I don't see enough value in what you're offering. And, and so, so one of, one of, I, cause I asked them exactly that question. And one of them said something that really stuck with me once he said, well, most, most startup networking events feel like startup tourism, right? It's full of a bunch of people that are first timers and they dip in and they play lots of table tennis and they drink lots of beer and they do lots of talking, but they don't do any actual work. They don't build anything of significance. And the thing is like, I've got friends, I've got a family, I've got a business, I've got plenty of stuff, like my time is limited. I want to meet other people, but I want to meet people who play at my level. That's specific terminology. I want to, so, so there's two, two, two main points that have come up. One of them is I want to pe- meet people who play at my level. And the other one is people often say, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. I want to meet people who are one or two steps ahead of where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not the dumbest person in the room, then I'm in the wrong room. And quite often, I think they felt like whenever they were going along to these networking events, sure, they could you know, provide a lot of value to the other people there, but they weren't receiving a whole lot of value themselves. Now, obviously, like if, you're the, if everyone is the dumbest person in the room, <laughs> it's a pretty dumb room, but B, you know, that, that, that's not feasible. There's always a bit of give and take. There's always something you can learn from someone else. So it's not, it's not always the case of being the dumbest person in the room and learning from people around you. You do need to give and take. But I, I think if anyone ever says like, you know, hey, I, I'm too busy, I don't have time for it. And, and, and we've had that when people ask people to join the community. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm too busy. It's like, okay, well, the way I tend to interpret that is, okay, I need to adjust what I'm saying or how I'm communicating because I'm not expressing the value. And it's it's hugely valuable, but because it's intangible, sometimes it's not immediately obvious from the outside looking in. So whenever I think someone says, hey, I don't have time for it, it actually means, you know, 
my time is limited. You haven't justified why I should invest a scarce resource in, in the thing that you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I must say, I really love the startup tourism concept. And as you said it, it, you know, there's just that light bulb lighting up and yeah, I get it. I saw it. I felt it. And sometimes even I was the guy providing the value and from when I'm, when I'm thinking about it right now, it was a bit of a vanity involved that I could feel good with myself that I could provide mm -hmm. value, which is wonderful and we should be helping people, but sometimes we overdo it just for the sake of feeling good. And as you said, sometimes we really need to get some value for ourselves. And since I know your online community has some entry fees and some entry requirements even to join, do you think those requirements and fees help filter out those people who just, you know, conduct tourism and help you, you know, have a smaller audience, but with more curated uh, know-how and experience. Absolutely. And, and we, we deliberately set it up from the beginning. So we, we don't charge a massive fee. It's like a couple hundred bucks a year, right? But charging something versus charging nothing changes the dynamic completely. People take it seriously and, and that kind of flows onto everything else. So if you're paying for something and there's a mastermind call on, for example, you're more likely to show up. If we bring in a guest speaker, then you're more likely to go along and attend it. And when everyone is in the same boat, what that means is, so even though it's, it's, it's a relatively small community, like we don't have thousands, hundreds of tens of thousands of, un, of members or anything like that. It's in the hundreds. But, but what that does is it creates an environment where people engage really heavily. And, and, and this is the classic mistake that I see with most communities out there. Okay. There might be 10,000 people in it. But you actually get in there and nothing happens. Nobody talks to each other. It's just tumbleweed. It's a ghost town. Whereas with Startup Source, it is, it, is, it is a much smaller community, but because of that curation, because we're very selective about who we let in. So you've got to be a SaaS founder. You've got to be based outside the San Francisco Bay Area. You've got to be, we, we say $5,000 a, a month in revenue, but um, in reality, like a third of our members are doing over a million bucks a year. They're quite a bit beyond that. But the reason we, you know, we have to pick a number somewhere. So $5,000 a month is sort of the, the territory where you're not just toying with ideas and validating ideas and testing things out, you've actually got some semblance of product market fit and you've got a business and you, you're really thinking about how do I, how do I grow this? How do I scale it up? And so if everyone is just at that stage, then the discussion is a lot more relevant. And even, even to people who are doing, you know, a million bucks a year, there's, there's one guy in the group who's doing, I think 40 or 50 million bucks a year. It's like very, very, very successful guy, totally bootstrapped mm -hmm. too. Like he's, he's a, he's a, he's a weapon and a half. And I've been on calls. He was on a call with someone who was doing maybe five or $6,000 a month, but the guy who's doing five or $6,000 a month knew something that was helpful and relevant to him. So it's not always just about like the stage in terms of money. Like I think it's quite arrogant to assume that you can never learn anything from someone who's, you know, a few steps behind you in terms of revenue or in terms of business growth or in terms of something else. But I think I, I tend to think about it more in terms of stages. So early on, you're testing out ideas, you're figuring out what works. Once you get out of that stage and you get into the next stage, which is I need to figure out how to grow this thing. I need to put systems in place. I need to hire employees. I need to fine tune, you know, my unit metrics. I need all these other things. Like it's a different level of conversation and you want to be around different people, you know, to have those conversations. So we, when we were trying to figure things out, we, we looked into a lot of communities. We joined a lot of communities. We tried to figure out, okay, what are they doing well? What are they doing badly? One thing that kept on coming back often is, 
there's lots of people in this group, which is why I joined. But when I got in here, it felt like felt very lonely. No one really interacted with anyone else. The, the second thing that came back a few times, I'm not, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's a lot of kind of older, more established yeah. sort of networking groups, very expensive. And you go along and you got to, you know, you got to jump through a lot of hoops in terms of revenue to get there and you got to pay a lot of money to be a part of it. But I had people saying, yeah, I went along to one of these things thinking I was going to learn a lot. And there was, I was running a SaaS company. This guy had a trucking company. That person was in real estate. That person was a lawyer. And like, we were all high level people. We're all intelligent people. We'd all built successful businesses, but there's not that much that I can learn as a software business owner from a guy who's running trucks everywhere, you know, or someone who's investing in apartment buildings. Like there's just not that much crossover in terms of industry. So the other thing that that made it super relevant is we restricted it just to SaaS businesses and just to founders of SaaS businesses. Cause the problems you, you encounter as a, as a founder, is different to everyone else. So everyone's in the same boat. They've got, a lot of common ground, they struggle with the same problems. And funnily enough, a lot of them tend to have the same kind of personality types and stuff as well, which is super interesting. Cool. Uh, you mentioned the mastermind groups and the having a vertical for your community. Uh, are there any other secret sources <laughs> Yeah, uh, for curating your own online community? What really worked for you apart from those masterminds and having a vertical for SaaS founders? Do you have any you know, recommendations? What worked for you? What did not work? And maybe if you could provide us with you know, one highlight out of those practices you introduced. So, so I'll, give, I'll give you two, right? So, maybe, so, so one thing that we did really well that was kind of by accident but turned out to be really important and one thing that we did badly that in hindsight we've done completely differently. So um, the, the thing that we did really well from the very beginning is we got on what is effectively a screening call with with, with everyone in, in the community. Now, I didn't say it was a screening call. I said, hey, jump on. I want to learn a bit more about you and I'll tell you the community and all that kind of stuff. But it was an opportunity when I was, was on there, I could talk to someone and see face to face, like, how does this person interact with me? Now, what, what happened when you do that, you, you might often get someone who looked great on paper and then you start talking to them and you're like, wow, this guy is a douchebag. I do not like him. I don't want to interact with him at all. And, 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 and I'll come up with some polite excuse. Yeah, now's not really the right time or we've got someone else in there who's you know, doing a similar thing. I'm really sorry. So I'd give him like some kind of polite rejection. But the real answer was, I was a dick and I didn't want him in the group because everyone else is going to be annoyed if I let someone in. I've, I've run enough communities to know that if you let a few bad apples in, the good people don't leave, but they just withdraw. They just don't engage anymore. And that starts this whole vicious cycle down because once, you know, if you've got good people, you know, do you ever hear that thing? This, this is all the buzz ages ago where they used to talk about hiring A players versus B players versus C players, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if you think about a, a community or, or any kind of online group or networking association or anything else, if you're able to just get A players in the room, like you might have fewer people in the room. But the people who are in there freaking love it and they want to come back because they get something out of that, that they just can't find anywhere else. The moment you start allowing B and C players to join, the A players are like, yeah, it's not worth my time anymore. And then they leave. And then all of a sudden, you've just got a group full of B and C players. And it's really hard to attract A players when that happens. So I took that kind of approach when curating the, the community. That 
worked out really well. And one of the things that a lot of our members say is like, look, whatever the, whatever the Ryan test is, whatever you say to people or however you decide to let people in or, or out, whatever that is, whatever that magic is, it works because everyone that I've met, you know, like one guy joined the community and he said, okay, well, I'm going to start at the top left and work my way down. We've got, a, we've got a member directory so he could see everyone who was in there, where they were, what they did, what they were good at. And he just reached out and introduced himself. And he said, after about three months, I'd met most of the people in the community. They were all awesome. They were super helpful. I got loads of advice, got lots of introductions. It was great. So that that layer of curation, I think, is really important when you're building any sort of community, whether it's online or offline. The, the thing that I probably would have done differently in hindsight is the way most people do communities is they start off with, with content or you know, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's blog post, maybe it's an email newsletter, some, some sort of content that kind of you know, displays their expertise. Then they go from that to an email list. Then they go from email list to a free community, cast a really wide net. And then after they've got this free community, then they launch the paid community. And sometimes what they might even do, they might even make it invite only. They see who's engaging the most in the free community and they say, hey, do you want to come in? And that way you're starting off with like the best of the best. You've cherry picked the most awesome people to seed your community. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, it's going to be really awesome and engaging from the very beginning. We kind of started, we skipped to step four, right? We didn't have the content layer. We didn't have the free community. We didn't have the email list. We didn't have any of that stuff in place. And so even though it's it's a really awesome and engaged community, now I'm at a stage where I have to like go back and build all that top of funnel stuff. I should know this. I'm a marketer. I like I knew all this. And I'm like, no, no, no. The, the rules don't apply to me. Oh, that, that, that's for everyone else. And sure enough, it's like, no, I actually got to eat some humble pie. Now I've got to go back and build that. But anyway, so, so if anyone is building a community or wants to set up some kind of event that they own, you are going to need a top of funnel. People do need to find out about it. You need a way to invite people in to, to experience that event. And if you don't have that, then you run the risk of things getting a little bit stale because the thing about people who want to go and join a community to meet other people is they, they do want to meet other people. They want to meet new people. They want to get exposed to new ideas. And if your community isn't growing, then it's dying. So, so that's something that I've had to learn the hard way and we've had to go back and <laughs> do a lot of work to get those layers in place at the top. So, yeah. So you need to keep up with content and constant influx of both people and either blog posts, YouTube videos, anything that makes people engaged other than other people. Absolutely. I, I think, I think you, you, you want a steady stream of new people coming in anyway. That just breathes new life into it. But you also want to introduce new ideas, new concepts, new you know, new marketing tactics that they could learn, you know, this is particularly relevant to our community, but, you know, that's why we're bringing guest speakers to come and say, hey, you know, there's this, there's this new legal regulation that's come into place that affects companies in the US. You've got to, you know, you've got to comply with this, or we've got, you know, someone's doing cybersecurity stuff. Hey, this is a real problem now. You're probably not aware of it. So just by being exposed to new, new ideas and new people, or ideally both, that's what keeps community active and engaging and we we've had some of our members have been so it, it was a side project for like to begin with for, for quite a while we've been running it for about four years and we've still got some of the members that joined four years ago they are still coming back they're still participating they're still engaging because they're finding something new to talk about or new people to meet or they're learning something and so i, I think doing something to keep it fresh or to to add that novelty and that spark is is really important cool okay let's Talk a bit about your experience with offline and online mm. networking. As you mentioned your story, you switched your focus from, you know, 
on boots on the ground activities towards online communities and online activities. But, well, first question I would have, how to strike balance? Should we, or is it even possible to go 100% towards online networking and say, okay, that's sufficient without any physical offline contact, you know, with face-to-face interaction. But if that's the case, or that may not be the case, it may be like 60, 40 or 80, 20, mm. it doesn't matter. But as you said, with online communities or even online networking, you need a constant stream of new people coming in. You need to mingle and the sheer amount of connections made may be much greater. But along with it, it comes the case for less of the body language with less of the physical connection. And those relationships tend to be more volatile, I'd say, or, you know, not really stable. Because, well, if I decide to spend an hour with you sitting at the cafe, I need to sit in this chair, talk with you, and it wouldn't be so easy for me to just stand up and leave. Other way is with, for example, Slack group, where I just can, you know, over that one hour talk with 200 Mm. people or just push ignore or just have a one word and that's it and go forward. So first of first question is how to find that balance. Where's that balance? And second of all, how to curate that physical connection, that in-depth relationship from offline meeting meetings to you know mm. online meetings i just uh, so you reminded me of a quick story then so I, I had a mentor once back to when i was trying to find a, a technical co-founder so i was using all these online mm-hmm. communities and stuff i joined facebook groups i joined there was like a, a founder to be anyway i found all these websites where i was trying to meet meet a co-founder and i had this mentor and he said okay ryan doesn't like they might look great on paper but the best way to know if a co-founder is a good fit is go out with them get horrifically drunk with them see if you're still friends in the morning. <laughs> I think that's fantastic advice for anyone. But, but, but uh, you know, and, and I think we all agree on this, that there really isn't a substitute for a, a face-to-face, like, interaction. It's just, it's just never the same. Whether, whether alcohol is involved or not, I, I, I'm, I'm actually a big fan. I think it changes it because people drop their shields a little bit. Like I think quite often when a lot, even if I've done lots of networking, you've done lots of networking. I think, you know, it's something that I generally think I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at most of the time, but it's, you walk into a room full of people you've never met before, you know, like that's, that's a bit of a hard thing to get over. Okay. I've got to walk up to a bunch of strangers and start talking to them. That's not an easy thing for most people to do. So I think certainly having alcohol, A, allows you to take the edge off, B, everyone else is a bit more receptive to having a conversation, and, and C, it gives you kind of an attraction. Because to, to, if, if, if you do an online event, okay, people are, it's so easy for people to ignore it, right? So it has to be, I am going to get mm-hmm. very tangible value out of this. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to connect with someone. I'm going to get some kind of, there, there has to be a very clear value proposition. Whereas if you have an offline event or an offline community or just any sort of gathering, like, hey, there's a bar. And most people are like, yeah, cool, I'll come along. And worst case scenario, I have a few drinks and I leave, but I still have a good time, right? So um, I, I always think the, the advantage of an online community is mostly about scale and mostly about, about you being strategic with, with who you connect with. So, so, so an example of that is if you go to a conference, one of the big complaints we had with, with people in the community, they would go to conferences expecting they were going to meet all these customers and it's going to transform their business. And 
almost without fail, every time they went to a conference, they said, well, I stood there all day and I didn't really talk to many people and I came home with maybe one phone number or, you know, a few conversations that didn't really go anywhere. I suspect it's because they, they didn't really know how to work the conference circuit. That's a, that's a skill thing or a knowledge thing. But, but I think that when you go to a, a face-to-face event and you don't know anyone there, you kind of, it's a luck, it's a roll of the dice, right? You might talk to the person next to you and they turn out to be this amazing, awesome person who's incredibly valuable to you. Or they could be completely irrelevant, you know, and they're, they're going to be the sort of energy thief who is going to talk at you and you take a step back and they talk at you and then you take a step back and you just can't get away from them. We've all been there. So, so what I try and do is I try and combine both of those things, right? So, so you join an online community that allows you to potentially meet a lot of people very quickly, but it also allows you to gather information about them and decide, look, does this person look interesting or not? So you can filter them and you apply that like high level filter straight off the bat. I think the ideal combination is you start with an online community, you know, connect with or have the ability to connect with lots and lots of people, do a bit of research and then decide, okay, this person looks good, this person looks good, this person looks good. Now I'm going to approach them and try and get them on a call one-on-one or even better, I'll try and meet them face-to-face. I think once you meet someone face-to-face, it changes the relationship, it cements it, it's it's deeper, it's closer, it's more enjoyable, let's be honest. And I've, I've spent way too much of my way too much of my life on, on Zoom calls, more than I'm, I care to admit. I'm, I'm a big believer in online communities. I think they can be extraordinarily valuable. But even then, even within the Startup Source community, we still have a channel called IRL Meetups. And whenever to, you know someone lands in a city for a conference or they're traveling or something like that, we say to people, hey, go meet this person, meet up for a coffee or a beer and take a selfie just to show it. And, and that's kind of a nice touch. I think everyone likes to see you know, meeting other people face-to-face from around the world, it just changes the dynamic completely. So I guess to, to kind of summarize, I'm sort of rambling a little bit here, but I think online communities, the, the main advantage is scale and the ability to find information about people quickly and do that filtering process in a way that you can't really do face-to-face. But it's really hard to build deep, enduring relationships purely online. Whereas I think face-to-face mm-hmm. stuff, you know, once, once you go to an event, and you have a few drinks with someone and you crack a few jokes and now, hey, presto, you're friends. And then I've got, I've got people that I still call friends that I met at a work event 10 years ago. And it all came about because I was at the bar. They were next to me. We started chatting and it went from there. And you just don't get that with an online community. So I think knowing what, you, what the advantages and you know, pros and cons are of both and being able to use both in, in a way that kind of plays together nicely is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely just don't get drunk too much. And I've seen those people, you know, just rambling yeah. without yeah. any sense, trying to hold straight. No, that's a really bad idea. But yeah, if someone's into it, like have a drink, you know, enjoy that one or two, you know, you know, l- release mm-hmm. that tension, as you said, and well, it may help. Honestly, I can really relate with your story as a lot of my networking experience comes from the same story. I joined some online communities, but I had a bit different path down the road. I did not do any research on people inside. I entered the role of the, let's say, I don't want to say an influencer, but the guy who's active within the community. The guy who's helping, who's providing content, who's trying to, you know, push some interesting links, books, articles, whatever, you name it. I try to be present as hell. And then out of those conversations within the community, some relationships emerged on their own. And then I 
switched saying like, hey man, it's cool having you on Slack or whatever. Let's have a call. And after a call, hey man, let's grab a drink, let's grab a coffee, lunch, whatever you name it. And this is a really wonderful thing. And it helps not only to curate one-on-one -on -one relationships, but also if by any chance it happens that, hey, it seems like we're going to be at the same event, we're going to be at the same conference. Then when I'm entering the venue, I can be sure that I've got someone to talk to. As you said, like I've got the same experience and since I'm building the solution for, you know, conference networking, I hear it all over. People coming up and just wandering around without a clue whom to talk to. Yeah, offline events, offline conferences, offline networking doesn't work. No, it does, but it really needs to be curated and it cannot be freestyle mm. activity. I, I think it's a skill. I think it's a skill that can be learned. I think it's a skill that can be taught. I think it's a skill that can be, you can improve at just, just by practicing it. And, and I think a lot of people sort of, they go in, they have one bad experience, like, yep, that was a waste of time. I'm never doing that again. It's like, well, you know, if you gave up the first time you tried to ride a bike or the first time you tried to do anything, <laughs> okay, you're probably not going to enjoy it. You got to give it, give it, give it some time. One thing that I have seen to actually to, to your point, one thing that I have seen people do before a conference a lot of the time they'll set up a, a temporary Facebook group or Slack group or some sort of online community so people mm -hmm. can engage. And I think that's a really good opportunity to just kind of skim through the list and see like who looks interesting, who is someone that I want to meet? Because I think it changes things enormously. If you go into a conference with the idea of like, I want to meet this person, I want to meet this person, I want to meet this person, you're kind of looking around for them. Um, I think you get a lot more value out of it that way. But equally, I've, I've seen people organize like, okay, so there's, there's, there's a conference on at this place in this city. I've seen people say, hey, we're organizing like a, a separate sort of drinks thing or organizing dinner or something. Would you like to join? And and just by, you know, at least in my experience as someone who is quite introverted, I can people, but it takes it out of me. So I, I do it sparingly, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that changes that for me is like, if you're the person organizing something and attracting people to you, then it's way easier to break the ice because you, you've got something to talk about there's a reason to have a conversation with with anyone. It's just so much easier to do it that way rather than trying to break in as someone from the outside. So I, I, I generally try and be the organizer of something, whether it's if you're a speaker, awesome. If you're, like you were saying, someone who is very active and very engaged in the, 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 the community before that, people have seen you, people have heard some of your opinions, people, I'm sure when you walk into to an event, people are attracted to you and that sort of makes it much easier to, to, to engage when you don't have to do that that hard work of breaking the ice every single time yourself. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of organizing something or setting something up or and then offering it to people, even if you're just kind of piggybacking off the, off the back of someone else's event or someone else's conference, because I think that's a great way to break the ice and to, to meet people quickly, especially face-to-face. -face. So... In order to prepare yourself for the conference or any networking event, you'd recommend having a Slack, WhatsApp, Facebook group and trying to gather those people attending beforehand, do some research and know who you're meeting and who's going to be there. Have a drink, basically, if you really need it, but it's not necessary, but it may help. And if that's possible, try to organize stuff, some additional events, some meetups and whatever. Just try to get engaged as 
when you're a speaker, panelist, organizer, you name it, people have the pretext to come to you. Exactly. And, and, and you sort of, yeah, perfect. you're up on a, a bit of a pedestal, right? People want to come and talk to you because you're, you're perceived mm-hmm. as an expert. Whereas if you're just kind of Joe Blow, you might be interesting, you might not be, they don't know. And so there's sort of this awkwardness where you've got to prove your value within the first few minutes, which is, which is quite, you know, quite difficult to do. Whereas if you start off with mm-hmm. that perceived value being higher anyway, because you were a speaker, because you were someone who was organizing something, because you're someone who was engaging previously, then I think you kind of get over that hurdle a lot faster. I, I, just, just to clarify with the, the, the drinking thing, so like I'm saying like one or two drinks, <laughs> not 10 or 20. Like we've all seen that guy over in the corner yeah. making an idiot about him. So I'm not, yeah, yeah, not suggesting that, but j- just enough to get the shields down to be a bit more natural. I, I find I can be pretty awkward around a group of new people that I don't know, especially if it's a massive group. So that helps me. I think it helps most people just to kind of relax a little bit more. And then once you relax and you're actually enjoying yourself, then you're a lot more interesting to other people and everything gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To finish up, I'd like to ask you for a template slash guideline for some listeners that would think, okay, that's a cool idea, Ryan. And we would really love to, you know, get into that online networking and then switch to offline but we never did it we have no freaking idea how to do it we're fucking anxious okay i'm gonna go you know join your community join the secret sauce and Mm. then what 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 the milestones are what are the best practices when to switch how to switch how to behave and you know i'm fucking lost just give me like basic milestones for my activities for the next month or two. So I think I've got a few bits of advice there. Whenever whenever someone joins our community, we ask them to introduce themselves in a very specific format. And that's, that's for a reason, right? So it's not just who are you and where are you and what does your business do and all that kind of stuff. That's the basic bare bones stuff. But we ask them two other things. What are you really good at? And what do you need help with right now? And the reason we ask those two questions is because that sets the stage so that everyone else knows how they can interact with them. It makes it so much easier. It's like, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're really good at JavaScript. Fantastic, because i got this problem that's been driving me nuts for months. Can we talk about that? And, and, and whether that's like a, a genuine value exchange, whether it's just an excuse to break the ice, this is now I know what to talk to you about. I think that just makes it easier for everyone if they know, but especially if people know what you need help with as well. Hey, actually, look, I know a fair bit about that. I'm, I'm happy to jump on a call and help you out as well. So it's not just a, a one-way thing. So the, the the lesson that I take from that, and it took us a few months to kind of work that out, but but now it seems to, because every time when someone joins, you know, there, there are one-on-one intros, there's all sorts of stuff. People get connected really quickly. So the, the thing that I would take from that and apply it to an offline interaction is that whenever you go and introduce yourself, you know, everyone's got their elevator pitch, everyone's got their like, you know, 10-second intro or whatever it is. What very few people do is explain what they're looking for and what they can help with. And I think if you think about those two things and you work that into your elevator pitch or the way you introduce yourself, you know, hey, I'm Ryan, look, I run this tech startup, you know, we're in, we're in stealth mode right now. What I'm really looking for is, is a technical co-founder or anyone who, who, who knows that. Like, I'm really good at marketing, I'm happy to help with that, but the, the tech co-founder piece is the bit that's missing for me. What do you do? Okay. Now, immediately, everyone you talk to, whether they're a good fit or not, they know what you're looking for and they know how they can interact with you. In, in, a, in a similar vein to that, one thing that's worked well for me online and offline 
I do this on LinkedIn quite a bit. So, you know, whenever you connect with someone you never met with on online, and there, there are so many lazy people on LinkedIn who just copy paste or they do this automated thing where they just blast it out. And most of the time, I don't know about you. Anytime I see in mail, I'm like, oh, that's spam, delete. Don't even look at it. It's a complete waste of time. I think we yeah. all do now. But 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 one thing that, that works really well is when you reach out to someone saying, hey, I love meeting, you know, I love meeting other founders, I love meeting whatever. So what do you need more of right now? Do you need customers? Do you need investment? Do you need people? What do you need right now? I love making introductions. And, and that helps cut through the noise quite a bit. I get a really good response rate on that. And, and, and the reason that works well is because I immediately stand out out of, you know, the, the hundred other people that have reached out to them that day. I'm the only one who's offering value and offering to help them. And, and I'm cutting straight to yeah. tell me something that you care about because I can help make that easier for you. And, and so, so that's not just someone that you know. That's now a resource that can can help you grow your business faster or achieve whatever you want to achieve. The the tricky part with that is actually following through. And so what I've found is, and, and this is mm-hmm. something I used to do back when I was a kid. I was clueless. I didn't know anything, but I did go to all these events and I did talk to lots of people and I asked them, what are you good at and what do you need more of? And when you do that to enough people, you can just be like, oh, well, you need this and you're good at that, but you need something else. Maybe I'll connect you guys up or you need this and you need, all right, well, you guys should talk. And all of a sudden, when you're making introductions like that for people, A, you, you, you accrue a lot of brownie points. People know who you are. They know you're valuable. But, but having someone who is a connector and an introducer, you want to know that guy because that guy can add so much value to you. You're not sure exactly when or how or what that value is going to look like, but you want to be their friend. And if you get a reputation for being that person, that opens doors for you that you're just not going to get access to anywhere else. So, And that's... That's, it doesn't cost anything. You don't even need to be particularly smart. I mean, if I can do it, most people can. But, but what helps with it is just making the effort of not just asking people what they need, but then going the extra mile and actually making the connection. And if you do that a few times, that's going to start to snowball and everything gets a lot easier. Yeah, I believe those are even nearly the exact words of Naval Ravikant. He said exactly the same. Have the reputation for making deals through you. And regarding the LinkedIn, fucking A. Like, some time ago, I was talking with a CEO of a huge company conglomerate, but he, he said to me, he t- said to me, like, Michael, I still accept random LinkedIn invites, provided they are not with, without any, you know, without any notes, or they are not speaking about themselves. If you just write a simple note, what value can I get out of you? Or what value can you bring? Or why you even care? Like you said, I really love meeting founders and I want to talk to you is enough. Really, it's enough because those high ticket people, they just get like 100, you know, spam emails. Hey man, we're software development agency. I don't fucking care, delete. Hey man, we do SEO optimization, delete. Like, I don't care. But when I say, hey man, I see you are the founder of the SEO agency and I'm struggling young founder who would really love to have, you know, some feedback on my SEO strategy. People fucking love to help. So just, you know, get into that interaction. I think, I think just that, just caring that little bit, taking that extra minute to do that tiny bit of research yeah. 
and 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 having a clear like a clear ask i think is something that people often struggle with as well one of the guys in my community used to get mm-hmm. hit up for partnerships all the time and he'd get on this mastermind call and he'd say like look i want more partnerships but the thing is most of them they never go anywhere so if you want to partner with me send me an email that says i want to partner up here's how i see that working you do this i'll do this this is how we win together and you got one of those emails like this. This yeah. is what people need to do, not just, hey, maybe we get on a phone and explore some partnership opportunities. Like, I've got a company to run. I don't want to get on a phone call and, you know, explore things. I want you to tell me exactly how you see it working. I go, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So I, I think I think having a, a clear ask to your point as well about it, whether that is, hey, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a young founder. I want to learn from you. Or, hey, I saw that you won this award. Congratulations. That looks fantastic. Can I jump on a quick call? I wanted to run a couple of things by you. Like, that's 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 okay but like just just explaining you know exactly what you want the interaction to look like and even better if you've got a way of providing value as well so it's not just you know take 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 if you're able to give a little bit as well i think that that makes you stand out so much more yeah exactly and if you don't know what you can offer just ask because yeah some people may feel like you know the imposter syndrome or they may be even students or, you know, young people who may think to themselves, yeah, but what can I offer to the 40-year-old, you know, successful businessman? Sometimes it's just perspective or just someone to listen to or, you know, different, I don't know, like it's such a wild goose chase, but it's possible. Just ask them and they'll tell you. I think, I think at the end of the day, pe- people are human. And I've met some really, really, really successful people in, in my life. And, you know, when you get talking to them, like, okay, yeah, they, they, they go for their, that particular football team or whatever. I had a guy once who was really, really, really hotshot successful investor, in, like seed investor, in a, I'm not going to name them, but like some, some really big billion dollar companies. So this guy was minted. He was cashed up beyond belief, never had to work again for the rest of his days. And, and he was passing through Sydney. And he's like, yeah, look, I don't really want to do the hotel thing. I'm a bit bored of it, you know, but um, does any, anyone got like a spare room or a spare couch or something? Uh, at the time, I was like, yeah, sure, man. You can come and stay on my couch if you want to. And so, so he did. And I was like, oh, cool. ka-ching, ka-ching. I could pick his brain. I can ask him all these questions. And the whole night, he just wanted to talk about this girl that he met. You know, did I think she was into him or not? I'm like, dude, I'm 24. I have no idea. <laughs> we can talk about this if you want. But that was what he wanted to talk about because that was what was important to him in the moment. And, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes people get really starstruck or whatever and they think, oh, I can't, what am I going to talk to that person about? How can I possibly do something valuable for them? But you'd be surprised. Like everyone has problems. Everyone has things that they need. And, 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 and quite often really, really, really successful people, what, you know, they want to help people. They want to mentor people. They, they wish that they had someone who could, you know, tap them on the shoulder and help them or that they did have someone who was a mentor to them and help them avoid all this stuff. And now they're like, now I, I, I want to do that for the next generation. It's just that so many people that approach them are just absolute tire kickers. So if you go to them earnestly and you're like, hey, I want to learn from you. You did this thing. It was amazing. How do I, how do, I do that? Can you, can you give me some advice? And you're genuine and sincere about it, then you can get some really successful people to actually reach out and respond and talk to you. I, got, I, got, I invited one of, the, one of the co-founders of Atlassian to come and be a speaker at oh. one of our co-founder speed date events. He was busy, mm-hmm. but but he, he took the time to write back. He said, hey, look, man, I love what you're doing. If there's anything I can do to help out, let me know. I'm like, cool. Well, that goes in the back pocket all because I asked. And 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 that's that's maybe something I think if there's anything that I can summarize with what I'm saying today, I think the, the main advantage of, of online networking is that, you know, through LinkedIn, through email, through Facebook groups or anything else, like no one's out of reach. They talk about the six degrees of separation. 
people change their physical address more than they change their email address. So you can, if you've got a laptop and an internet connection and a bit of bit of mouse, you can reach out to almost anyone on earth and talk to them directly. And I think that's such a powerful thing to be able to do that most people just just you know kind of neglect or kind of ignore. And I think that's such a waste. No one is out of reach. I really like that conclusion. Yeah, like I feel you and I resonate with it. I think that could be the summary of our conversation. No one is out of reach. Remember everyone's human and you know, just put an extra step, even extra mile. It doesn't need to be a mile. It just needs an extra step to approach some people. Thank you, Ryan, for this conversation. Thank you for having me, mate. It's been a pleasure. So everyone, this was Ryan. He's the founder of startupsource.com. So if you are a SaaS founder out of the Silicon Valley, just go to startupsource.com and join his wonderful community and masterminds. And this was Michael, the introvert networker. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. <laughs>